where we are looking um, at the last part, really, of chapter 22. Chapter 22 of the Confession is of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. And we have been looking at the Sabbath Day portion of that, which is really the last two paragraphs of that chapter. We began last week by looking at paragraph 7. And as I said, paragraph 7 is really just kind of dealing with the fact that there is a Lord's Day. It doesn't go on to tell you how to observe it. It doesn't give any details. It's just establishing the fact that there is such a thing. Furthermore, as I noted last week, paragraph 7 is not trying to give a full-blown biblical defense and argumentation for why there is a Sabbath day. In many ways, it's kind of just concluding that there is one. Um, It doesn't give you all the reasons. It says you know it by nature and by the Word of God. It doesn't go on to explain everywhere that the Word of God says that. It just says that the Word says it. I mention that because if you're looking for it to give a full-blown biblical defense of the Lord's Day, it doesn't really set out to do that. So we don't want to judge it for not doing something it never sets out to do. As far as how these things, uh, the arguments it gives, particularly from the Word of God, as far as how they teach that there is a Lord's Day, uh, we looked last week at many texts. Um, I will not repeat them all here, only to say that although we don't want to go back to the Sabbath of the Old Covenant, there is something that has progressively gone forward, and there is something ceremonial and positive about the Lord's Day. Nevertheless, we saw the roots of the Sabbath go much, much deeper than Moses, in fact, all the way back to creation itself. We saw that while there is a ceremonial or positive component, namely which particular day is to be observed, nevertheless, there is a moral perpetual component, namely that one day in seven is to be kept holy to the Lord. Well, what we want to do today is to move on to paragraph eight, which discusses Okay, there is a Lord's Day, right? Let's assuming there is. How then ought it to be observed? That's really what paragraph eight goes on to explain. It it's not. Um, it is still pretty bare bones. There's a lot it could say more, which we will try to fill out the details of. Um, but that's really what it goes out to to establish. And we're going to begin to look at this today. Um, In many ways, we're not even going to get to the Lord's Day today. We're going to talk about preparing for the Lord's Day, all right? So, but for good reason. But let's go ahead, excuse me, and read paragraph 8 of chapter 22. Let's read paragraph 8 of chapter 22. It says, The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men... After a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations. Yes, we'll look at that. We'll get there. That's something controversial a little bit. But are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. All right? Well, there's a lot of things to look at there, but what the confession starts with, and this is, I mean, very practical, is before you even get to the Sabbath, 
preparing for the Sabbath. <clears throat> As I said, we're going to be talking about this all day today, uh, and that might seem like overdoing it a bit, but I do think it's actually very, very important because in many ways, growing and keeping the Sabbath, in honoring the Sabbath, in delighting in the Sabbath, in getting benefit from the Sabbath, really comes out of preparing for it beforehand. Just as I've said with family worship, so often you and your family get out of it what you put into it. So also with the Lord's Day, we give so little thought to it, it just kind of rolls around and passes us by, and so we get very little benefit of it. Um, and yet if we would prepare beforehand in terms of some, some simple planning, and I'm not talking about like this mega ulti, like ultimate plan of like the Lord's Day, but just some simple things we will find not only that we will benefit more from it, but it will be a much greater delight. Well, the confession begins in paragraph 8, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand. Note what is mentioned first, the heart. That is very, very important with what we want to come away with as we study the Sabbath the Sabbath is not about do's and don'ts per se. It is a little bit, right? Sorry, sorry. Um, it is a little bit. But it's primarily a heart matter. Turning from those things which our heart might delight in otherwise and remembering that God is to be our greatest delight. That sitting at his feet like Mary rather than being busy and worried like Martha that that is the better thing which shall not be taken away from us. There are many who are very diligent in outwardly keeping the Sabbath, but who inwardly don't keep it at all, and they profane it. They profane the Sabbath. Well, how do we prepare? It doesn't tell us how to prepare. Um, this is where I said it doesn't really do a whole lot of stuff. Um, it doesn't give us a full-blown how to observe the Sabbath, although there are tons of good Puritan books on that, um, which I could recommend to you. But how do we prepare? I think we prepare primarily in two ways. First and foremost, we must prepare the heart, and we do so with a time of prayer and meditation, perhaps accompanied by reading of the Word, and also to ask and seek God's grace the next day that we might receive richly from the means of grace. As I said, brothers and sisters, so often we come to church with so little expectation to receive from the Lord. And I'm guilty of this too. You know, sometimes I've been challenged. Do I go into the pulpit thinking, today could be the day when those kids that you pray for get saved? Like, could it be that day? Could today be the day when through God's word or his sacraments, God tears down strongholds of sin in people's hearts? I confess, I don't always approach the pulpit like that. I should do so more. But because we do it every week and our flesh is weak, so often we just come kind of ho-hum like we're coming to church with very little expectation to receive from our, for, for our souls. Thomas Boston has a brief essay, a sermon maybe, whatever it was. Um, it's titled, How the Word is to be Heard and Read. And although it's primarily dealing with um, the preaching of the word and preparing for it, 
We could also apply it to the Lord's Day in general. And since the preaching of the Word is the primary means of grace on the Lord's Day, it very much applies to that, right? But he says this, As hearers of the Word would profit by it, they should take heed how they hear it. Like, yeah, duh. (laughs) And yet so often we don't, right? If you're going to profit by it, you should take heed then how you hear. He says, some things are to go before, namely preparation and prayer. And he says, some things are during and some things are after. We're only going to deal with the before, namely preparation and prayer. And though he makes those two different things, I'll kind of treat them as the same one thing, okay? He says, first, in preparation... We should prepare ourselves for the ordinances. It is true that God may, by His sovereign grace, catch the unprepared by His word. As He says in Isaiah 65.1, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them who sought me not. But it is the way of preparation in which we have ground to look for good by it. In other words, yes, absolutely, Um, God is not bound by our own preparation. I'm sure there's many times when we have uh, come not really expecting a whole lot of anything, perhaps being very distracted by other things, and then just God just nails your heart with encouragement or conviction or something. I know I've come into the pulpit many times feeling like just not even like, okay, this this is what I do, right? And then someone's like, Pastor, that really encouraged me in this way right, with no preparation or praying on my own. So God is not bound, right? We all acknowledge that. Nevertheless, generally, God uses means. And part of those is preparing our heart. And if we would receive greater good on the Lord's Day, we ought to prepare our hearts to hear the word and partake of the sacraments. And he goes on to give um, five things, which he says are necessary for preparation And I'm not trying to give you these as like a checklist, I must do this every time, but these are just good to consider because these are the kinds of things you want to consider, okay? Listen to what he says. The first thing, the first way you prepare is getting the heart impressed with the awesome sense of the majesty and holiness of that God into whose presence we are going and whose word we are to hear. Hmm. In other words, we are to content consider the magnitude of what is happening at church. It's true that wherever we are, Christ is with us, the Spirit is with us, and yet there is a special presence of Christ promised to the Christians, to Christians of the church, as they gather. There is a particular coming into the presence of the Father by means of the mediation of the Son and the power of the Spirit that you just don't have in your private devotions or in family worship. Furthermore, we are coming to hear from the king. I've said this several times in the past. The kids are all like, what? You know, Um, imagine if Jesus came just to read scripture today. He's not even going to preach. We would all be here on time. None of us would be dozing. We'd all be paying attention. None of us would be worrying about, oh my gosh, did I turn the whatever thing off? I was going to say the crock pot. I was like, the potluck. No, what is that called? All those things, right? 
No, we'd be captivated by the word. And yet he is here speaking amongst us through his word, by the Holy Spirit. We ought to consider that. We ought to not stroll into church. We ought to not especially be late to church. <laughs> Although sometimes you have car problems and you have to be late. So, Second, Boston says, we prepare by banishing out of the heart worldly cares that are lawful at other times. This was one of the reasons why in the parable of the sower, some of the seed did not bear fruit. We're told that it was choked out by the cares of the world or the worries of the world. This doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that, as we'll see, there aren't things of life that come up that you have to deal with, even on the Lord's Day. We'll see there are works of necessity. And yet, as we come to the day of the Lord, ah, put that other stuff off. Guess what? That'll be there for you on Monday. I promise you can, you can deal with that again. You know, it's interesting. To keep the Lord's Day requires an increase of faith, doesn't it? To trust that the Lord will, in fact, help me to take care of all those things that I need to take care of next week. He will help me do that, and so I can cease from those cares and worries, and I can just rest in the Lord this was one of the great blessings of being an Israelite. Our God takes so, so good care of us, we can stop working. We don't provide for ourselves. Our God provides for us. We work diligently, but we are not our providers. God is. There's a sense in which we want to say that in our own hearts. All those things we might normally be caught up with, just slow yourself down. Even asking, Lord, help me to put these things off my heart. Help me to focus my mind Boston continues, three, we prepare by application of the blood of Christ to the soul for removing of guilt and doing away any controversy between God and the soul. Let me read that again. We prepare by making application of the blood of Christ to the soul for removing guilt and doing away any controversy between God and the soul. <clears throat> in, one way, in other words... One way we prepare is by making sure that if our consciences are guilty, perhaps we fell into a certain sin that week, uh, maybe even that day we snapped at someone, um, you know, we had to repent of something, and we have repented of it, but our conscience is still struggling to take hold of, of the grace of Christ. Really try to apply the blood of Christ by faith to yourself so that when you come on the Lord's Day, you don't come with a guilty conscience. Guilty conscience is fear. That's the opposite of faith. The means of grace are to be received by faith, and when you're trembling, you're afraid to come to the Lord because of a guilty conscience, that will hinder you from doing so. Boston continues, How happy are they who come thus washed to hear the word, for they may expect to hold communion with Christ therein. If you've repented but you're struggling, confess that to the Lord. Lord, I especially need much grace tomorrow, as you see from my sinful performance this last week. And yet, Lord, I must come by faith to receive from your word and from the, from the sacraments. Help me, God. Banish guilt from my conscience. Help me to grab hold of the fact that my sins have been removed. 
Very, very pastoral, uh, pastorally wise counsel by Boston. Fourth, he says, we prepare by purging the heart of carnal and corrupt lusts and affections. In other words, with the second one, we were putting off worldly cares, he says, which are lawful at other times. Here, you're getting rid of things which are never lawful, okay? He says, this is to put off one's shoes when coming on holy ground, laying by the earthly frame and putting on a heavenly one. For what good effect can be expected on the heart filled with corrupt lusts, passions, and prejudices, nourished and not fought against, surely none at all. This is perhaps, this is different from the previous one where someone comes with a guilty conscience. In that case, they've repented of sin, and yet their conscience is still feeling guilty, still condemning them, though they have repented. This is someone who has not repented yet. Perhaps this is the person uh, that Christ would be speaking of. If, if your brother has something against you, if you have sinned against someone in your family, you've not confessed a certain sin, you've not yet repented, oh, make sure you banish that from your heart before the Lord's day. Because the soul that comes filled with lust, filled with unrepentant sin and anger and sharp words, cannot expect to receive much from the means of grace on the Lord's day. Peter warns husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You could say the same thing to the wife as well. The inference is that if husbands do not dwell with their wives in an understanding way, they're harsh with them, they're not loving and kind and gentle but mean, then their prayers will be hindered. Gill says of the husband's prayers, such prayers put up in wrath are not acceptable unto God who requires that men should lift up holy hands everywhere, whether in public or in private, in God's house or in their own houses, without wrath and doubting. If you were to even try to prepare for the Lord's Day and say, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to do all these things that Pastor Ryan told me about, but I'm not going to repent of that sin, you've just undone all your preparation. You should not expect to meet much grace on the following day. How can you? Your heart is full of sin. How can it drink deep of the goodness of God? Put that away. Be quick to repent. The car, the car ride to church... Even if it's right, man, you're sitting over, you grab your spouse's hand. I was a jerk. I'm really sorry. Will you please forgive me? That's better than nothing. Confess your sin so that you can receive deeply. Fifth and lastly, Boston says, lastly, we prepare by stirring up in the heart spiritual desires. Spiritual desires. We prepare our hearts by stirring them up to delight in the things of the Lord. This is the putting on. If getting rid of the worldly cares is the putting off, this is the putting on. These are the spiritual cares, the spiritual concerns, the spiritual delights. You know, we read in the Psalms often, 
a longing for God's presence. And it's often a longing for God's presence in the corporate worship of the temple. Listen to what they say and and think of yourself when you come to the Lord's Day to worship. Is this your heart? Pray that this would be your heart. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Hmm. Psalm 63, 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. You know, so often, brothers and sisters, the problem with our worship on the Lord's day is not so much that we are consumed by fleshly lusts, but that our spiritual desires are weak and feeble. You want to confess that to the Lord. Seek his help to stir up your heart. You know, I love the prayer of the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We could also say, Lord, I delight in you, but help my lack of delight. Ah, my heart is cold. My my desires for you are so weak and feeble. The cares of this world distract me, but if my heart was fainting for you here, I wouldn't even care about those things. Oh, Lord, help me. Never forget, brothers and sisters, never forget our Lord's rebuke to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. It's a remarkable rebuke when you compare it to the other things that other churches are rebuked for by comparison. Some churches are rebuked for allowing false doctrine to be taught. Some are rebuked for allowing the eating of food sacrificed to idols probably referring to eating in idol temples themselves. And some are rebuked for engaging and not doing anything about sexual immorality taking place in their midst. For all these things, the Lord rebukes the churches and tells them, if you do not repent, I will come and take away your lampstand. Which means that eventually, in many ways, they would become no church at all. They would devolve so as to not be a true church, right? Yet to the church of Ephesus, he likewise threatens to remove their lampstand if they do not repent. But it's not for false doctrine. It's not for sexual immorality. Christ gives them all kinds of compliments. He says they cannot bear with those who are evil. Those that are going on in sexual immorality, you can't bear it. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. You don't deal with false doctrine and false teachers. Nor does Christ rebuke them for giving in to persecution and breaking under the strain. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But he says this, and he threatens to take away their lampstand for it. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I go, but God, I'm doing all kinds of great stuff for you. 
I'm a shining witness. I'm being persecuted, Lord. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. So serious is he about this that he will take away their lampstand if they don't repent. How often do we come to the Lord's Day, brothers and sisters, being guilty of the very same thing? The zeal, the love, the joy of Christ that we had in the beginning, love to sing his praises, to hear his word, to spend time with his people. Oh, how often does that grow cold? Let us not rest in good doctrine or outward holy living that we don't abide by all kinds of sexual immorality, nor let us even rest in the fact that we might be persecuted as Christians in the world. If our love grow cold, he will remove our lampstand. It's very powerful. Well, with these five preparations, Thomas Boston adds prayer. But I would really say... All of those things, you're praying and meditating, you're probably also incorporating God's word, you're confessing sin, all of that. I don't, I don't think you have to each time strictly consider these five things exactly. There might be more we could add, there might be less. The big thing really is, just take five or ten minutes. Take stock of your heart, pause, seek the Lord, ask for his blessing on the following day. One Puritan, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm going to say John Jury, even though it sounds kind of funny. John Jury, he referred to the Sabbath as the market day of the soul. The market day of the soul. Now that term, the market day, meant something slightly different for them than it means for us. Back then, the market day was the day when all the farmers and the grocers in town and anyone with anything else to say came to a designated place, normally in town, and others came who needed to buy things. It was, for many, a small journey, a day's journey. In fact, I found an example in uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, and there, somebody refers to a market day's journey. It's like enough that it'll take a good part of the day, but you can make it back home in time, right? It, it was a little trek, if you will. Perhaps a closer example for us would be Costco. Costco is a little bit more of a, it's more of a task, isn't it, than Kroger's or Aldi's. Typically, it's more of an ordeal. I know if people are going to Costco, my wife will text and say, I'm going to Costco. Do you need anything? Oh, please get this for me at Costco. You can save me a trip. Why? Because it's kind of more of an ordeal, right? That was more of what the market day was for the Puritan era. And John Dury says the Sabbath day is the market day of the soul. It's when you come to do business. If your soul is lacking something, it's in need of something, it's the day you come to get it. You know that you can't necessarily come to God every single day in the same way you can on the Lord's day. You want to be careful to remember to get all the things you need, because if not, you have to wait for another week to go around. It's a special time of hearing the word preached, sung, partaking of the Lord's Supper, fellowshipping together, 
We're to take advantage of it and do business. It's the market day of the soul. Yet how many times do we miss opportunities to make use of such a market day of the soul so our souls suffer? So preparation of the heart, very, very important. Um, In fact, I'd say that's probably one of the most important parts it is, like, of the heart of preparing for the Sabbath. Prepare your heart beforehand. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be small. Pray with your family. Maybe incorporate this into family worship. Kids, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. Let's have some time of, of particularly praying that God would bless us tomorrow, especially in the Lord's Day, okay? The confession continues and speaks not just of preparing the heart, but of, quote, ordering their common affairs aforehand. Ordering their common affairs aforehand. Now, this aspect of preparing is perhaps not so spiritual as what we just considered in terms of prayer and meditation and the heart, and yet it is still very important, and we could say it is spiritual in the sense that a lack of ordering our common affairs aforehand can hinder the spiritual business of the Lord's Day. If we were to go back to our metaphor of going to the market day in Puritan times, you had, to be brought, you had to be up bright and early to get to the market on time. Otherwise, things might be sold. There might not be enough daylight throughout the day. You might be coming home when it's dark and dangerous. You want to set out early. You might prepare your clothes the day beforehand just so that you're up and out the door and taking full advantage of the day. So, is it, so it is with the Lord's day. We want to make sure that we are preparing. After you spend time preparing your heart, I would encourage you, just do a mental check. Like, like I said, this whole preparation thing, it doesn't, it's not a lot of, it's not a huge task, okay? Just do a mental check. Think about what's going to be needed the next day. Do the kids have clean clothes to wear? Do clothes need to be ironed? If there's potluck, I'm making something. Do I have all the ingredients I'm going to need? Does the car have gas in it? Just do a quick mental check and hopefully get rid of as many of those things as you can. And then first, you don't have to worry about it. You can rest even more. And secondly, you're not rushed the next day. You're in a better frame of mind when you come to church. This also, I would say, means getting to bed on time the night before so that you're not thrashed on the Lord's Day. Not staying up. I get it, man. Saturday, you're like, Pastor, when can we party? I work Monday through Friday. Sunday's the Lord's Day. Come on, at least have me, let me have my Saturday night when we're out in the town. I get it, right? But something even greater comes the next day, the Lord's Day. Get to bed at a decent time so that you're not thrashed on the following day. Also, I would say, be sure that throughout the work week, you're working diligently. One of the reasons why perhaps we fail to cease from our work on the Lord's Day is because we don't work as diligently as we could have on the six days given for work. Part of the fourth commandment is not just ceasing from labor, but working hard and getting what you have to get done on those six days that are designated for work. Now, I've thought about that as as a pastor. I think sometimes my flesh 
My flesh can make uh, excuses for myself. Well, Jesus said, don't you know that the priests profaned the Sabbath on the Lord, profaned the temple on the Lord's day or whatever, right? So I work, you know, I got I to gotta do what I got to do. Sometimes, furthermore, I get sermon writing block. I have to finally finish things on the morning of, and sometimes that happens. It happened this morning. I tried this week, and I just got sermon writing block, right? But at other times, I have been convicted that I'm working on a sermon the morning of that if I could have just worked a little bit harder in that week, I could have actually spent more time not in preparing my sermon, but in preparing by prayer. Not just in going over it, but preparing my heart. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, be sure that you work diligently. The Lord's Day is to be a day of rest. It's a great thing to have nothing to do on the Lord's Day but rest and worship God. That's a great thing. A part of that is making sure you take care of your duties during the week. In terms of family and secret devotions or individual devotions, we'll look at that later. It is mentioned in the confession. Um, What I will say is family worship and individual devotions should be something a little bit more on the Lord's Day. You want to do something a little bit extra to it than you normally do, okay? We'll look at the phrase that the whole time is to be taken up um, in in religious exercises and duties. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some issues of recreations, if there are recreations permitted. Um, What is the English view? What is the continental view? We'll see. There's some debate. We'll see there's not actually much of a debate if you look at the sources. Um, There's not much of a difference, right? Um, But we will get to that later on. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, we'll stop there for now. Um, That's preparation. Otherwise, we're just going to jump off and start. Um, But yeah, we'll get into that. Any questions about preparation? Yeah, so the question was, um, with potential merge happening and thereby potential differences in what the Lord's Day is going to look like, you know, hopefully one day morning and evening services, that's going to change a lot um, of what your family devotions and private devotions and your rest looks like. Um, advice for that is, is corporate worship is going to take much of a, a larger role in our lives than on those days. Um, I do still think there's probably a place for something extra in private and, and family devotions, and I'm not talking about something massive or huge. It can even be something um, like reading a special book that you only read during that day. Um, you could watch something about missionaries. There's, there's something extra you could incorporate into those things. Um, for me... On the Lord's Day, I've been trying to read this one particular book um, that I've been reading on like 
theology and stuff like that. Um, and that's one extra thing I, I try to do um, rather than just doing other things. So I think there's going to be a role for that, but maybe a diminished role a little bit on those private and family exercises um, because of, of um, uh, corporate <laughs> exercises. There may be also, we might say, a little bit more room in some ways for um, what we could call godly recreations, um, particularly for kids. We'll, we'll look at that. And I don't think our confession is, in, is opposed to that. Um, that was actually discussed a lot, what actually qualifies as a recreation. And when ours forbids recreations, there's certain things it certainly does forbid, but not all if they are beneficial and actually help you to better enjoy the Lord's day and to, to serve him. For kids, if they're going to be sitting more in pews, like twice as much on the Lord's day, I would say, oh, yeah, let them especially run around and get their wiggles out or something like that. You may need to go for a walk with your wife or, you know what I mean, something to refresh the body. You'll, you'll find the English would say that as well. That's why this kind of view of the English versus the continental view, well, it's actually not all that different. So, yeah, it will come with special challenges that we can adopt to, and we'd have to think about it when we get there, right? Yeah. Anything else? Like I said, start small. Um, don't make this a massive thing, at least not right away. Keep it simple. Keep it about the heart. Keep it very practical. Just do a mental checklist. You'll forget things. That's okay, right? Um, but, but preparation, as, as Thomas Boston says, that's the normal way that, that God prepares our hearts to bless them more on the Lord's day, okay? All right. Well, with that, you are just...